I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Fans, welcome in. This is the Crimson Corner Podcast. It's powered by kslsports.com. I'm your host and Utes Insider, Trevor Allen. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another edition. This time we're talking about a win. Utah football picks up a 30-24 to win over the Oregon State Beavers. It's their first win in technically as far as a calendar year. It's been just over a year. November 30th, 2019 was their last win. Because as you guys know, they went on to lose to Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game last year and to Texas in the Alamo Bowl. But it's good to get in the win column. It wasn't pretty. I'll tell you that much right now. Utah got out to a 30-10 to lead before Oregon State fired back. And Utah on offense really struggled at times. I mean, especially in that first half where they had to kick field goals when in their first three trips into the red zone. I know that that just made Kyle Whittingham furious. And then on top of that, when you're trying to run out the clock in in the fourth quarter to win the game in your four-minute offense, you run the same play four times, and then you get stuffed. You definitely got to be more creative as far as your your running attack, especially when you're trying to chew out the clock, because really Utah made it way too predictable for Oregon State, and they were figuring out what Utah was going to do. And you just can't do that. But either way, it's a win, and then it's also a a short turnaround as they – take on the Colorado Buffaloes on Friday night in Boulder in technically the regular season finale, but Utah will have at least one more game, hopeful to have two um, as they try to get bowl eligible because, as you know, as far as the landscape of college football, there's not a minimum number of wins you have to have in order to be eligible for a bowl game, but the Pac-12 Conference put a mandate in there that you have to have a 500 record, so Utah would need to win on Saturday or on Friday against Colorado just to even be in that conversation, and then you're probably going to have to win next week whoever you're going to play in order to guarantee that. And really, that's not even much of a promise because, as you guys have seen, there's been a lot of bowl games canceled. I think upwards of 11 so far have been, and I think five of them have Pac-12 ties. So we'll definitely see what happens 
as we head down the home stretch. But I don't want to get too far ahead. I still want to take in the uh, 2020 season for what we have left. And then also the running Utes getting after it as they pick up a win in their season opener against Washington last week. We'll uh, talk about that. And then they have two games this week, Idaho State at home, and then they're on the road at BYU on Saturday. All right, a couple of stories I want to look at. Uh, First, we're going to talk about the game against Oregon State. I'm going to give you guys five standouts from that game, and we're going to do this every single week here on the podcast and over at kslsports.com. Give you guys five players, and it's not necessarily guys that you know just had great stats and things like that. They more just stood out for different reasons. Um, it's kind of just more of a list that guys who uh, caught my eye. So we'll uh, start with Devin Lloyd. Um, he had a great game. Seven tackles, six solo tackles, two tackles for loss, one sack, and a forced fumble. And that forced fumble came in the second half when he sacked Oregon State's quarterback, Chance Nolan. So it was an overall great game for Devin. And he's actually had double-digit tackles in the first two games entering this one. And he he didn't lead the game in tackles for the Utes against Oregon State, but he was pretty dang close. But he was very productive in filling out the stat sheet. And then number two is J.T. Broughton, the cornerback. He's the one who led the Utes in tackles on Saturday. He had nine of them including seven solo tackles and a pass breakup. He, he made some great plays on those two drives that Oregon State had in the uh, second half when they had the uh, chance to go in and score a touchdown to win the game. But Broughton had some great pass breakups um, and, and just great coverage overall. And he uh, stepped up in a big way as the Beavers had to turn the ball over on downs twice. And then Brant Keithy. I'm glad to be saying his name because he wasn't really involved much in the season opener against the Trojans. And then last week against Washington, he was targeted early, and then that kind of tapered off. And then in this game against Oregon State, he was huge. He had eight catches for 76 yards. Probably should have had two more catches, and both of those should have been for touchdowns. But Jake Bentley overthrew him or did not throw it right on his route. And so... uh, it is what it is, but Brant Keithy had a great game, and it's great to see him back in, in the win column and getting involved. And then Clark Phillips, uh, the cornerback, the one thing that really has stood out to me about him is his uh, open field tackling is really, really good, especially for a true freshman. But then you also look at what he's had to do against Washington. When Utah was in that, that uh, nickel package, he would have to slide over to nickel because Malone Mataele was not available. And then against Oregon State – Everything was back to normal. Malone was, was playing whenever they were in, in that nickel package. There were times where they went to that 4-3. But then Malone got kicked out of the game for targeting in the uh, second quarter. So in that second half, Clark had to slide back over to nickel. Hopefully, especially since Malone it does not have to sit out the first half of the game against Colorado, hopefully Clark can stay over onto the outside. But it just makes it more valuable that he's – playing nickel as well as corner and that the coaching staff feels comfortable putting him there, especially as a true freshman, because Kyle Winningham has said, and I've said it many times on this podcast, that is the most difficult position to learn in Utah's defensive scheme. But Clark had seven tackles and a tackle for loss. And then Mika Tafua is number five on this list. And again, this is in no order. It's just the way I put it on paper, basically. 
Mika had five tackles, four solo tackles, and one sack. And that sack came in the fourth quarter. It was a big play. Two plays earlier, he actually came out of the game for an injury and then came into the game and on his first play back in the game ended up getting a sack. So really just making plays and, and getting out there and getting into the backfield. So great job for him. And also, I, I will point out two other things. One, Ty Jordan is a superstar in the making for Utah, and they have now found their lead running back. He was named Pac-12 Freshman of the Week after having 27 carries for 167 yards and one touchdown against Oregon State. The kid is absolutely electric and is going to be an absolute joy to watch for the next at least three years, potentially four, potentially five actually, depending on what happens, especially with the eligibility freeze in college football. And then welcome back Britton Covey. Two touchdowns, one catching, and then one punt return for a touchdown. Just seeing his speed again and how he's fully healthy, it's just absolutely incredible. And really great to see him back because he told us after the game that that this was the first time that he really felt healthy since the first Washington game at Rice-Eccles Stadium in 2018. Now that really says something. It's been a long time coming and really happy for Britton Covey. All right, now it's time to talk about the game against Colorado. But first, I want you guys to hear from head coach Kyle Whittingham at his weekly press conference on Monday. Yeah, it was good to uh, get the win uh, Saturday night. Uh, had a lot of positive things happen in the game. Still have plenty to work on and things that we didn't do so well. But uh, Ty Jordan was a bright spot for the offense. Uh, very productive. 160 or 70 yards and had a big workload. I think he carried it 27 times. And so it was a breakout game of sorts for Ty. Uh, defense did some good things, got some key stops at the end, which was uh, really, you know, they preserved the win. If we don't get those stops at the end, then who knows what happens. Um, but uh, like I said, it was good to get a win. Uh, we got a short turnaround this week. We got uh, Colorado up in Boulder on Friday night. And so there's no time to... Uh, Savor, savor the win on Saturday. We got to move on, which we have already done, and uh, get ready for the Buffalo. So, questions? Hey, Kyle. Going into camp, you talked about how the offense would have to carry the defense, and it seems like you know you guys are struggling on offense at times, and you guys are are getting some really good play out of your defense, especially having such a young group. Are you kind of surprised at the progress your defense has been making? and where your offense is at at this point through three games? Yeah, it hasn't played out exactly as uh, I thought it would. Defense seems to be much more productive and further ahead than, than uh, I think any of us thought. And we're not quite as productive on offense as we need to be right now. In fact, we've got a, a ways to go. And so I uh, didn't see that coming based on training camp. And that's why you never really can put a whole lot of stock in, in what's going on when you're playing against each other. Continually because you don't get a great perspective, and, and uh, so that's sometimes misleading. But uh, really proud of the the, uh, the defense and, and particularly the way that the secondary has performed so far. We're I think we're first or second in the league in, in pass efficiency defense, which is is pretty good when you consider that secondary is an entire rebuild. So uh, yeah, it has been a little bit uh, unexpected, but uh, in a good way for the D and. 
we still need to get untracked offensively. And, and I think we've made progress offensively, but, but uh, we still got a ways to go. You guys are no stranger to, you know, short weeks playing on a Friday night, but I am curious, um, how does prep change, uh, you know, playing on a short week one, but also doing it on the road with all the testing and things that need to go on now? Yeah, the testing is uh, definitely an added uh, factor in, in the preparation where that never existed before, but but uh, it's not really that uh, dramatic of a change. Uh, when you're playing on a Friday, when you're playing on a Thursday, that's a much more compressed time frame, and so we we uh, are treating today like a hybrid Tuesday, I guess you could say, not quite as physical as a normal Tuesday, but we'll get up on the field where typically on Mondays we don't do much on the field. It's more films and lifting, and so we just accelerate a day. That's the short version is, is everything moves up one day, and, and uh, we should be uh, and we should be fine. Then the road trip is an, is an easy trip to Boulder. It's only about an hour flight, so, so it's not a big... Uh, issue there as well just a quick follow-up on a different topic um assuming that you've seen some film now did you think that the targeting call was legit i wouldn't have called it if i was the official i thought our guy got underneath the uh the headgear of the opposing player and i thought he was trying to get in there with the shoulder and uh so but i'm not an official but if i was an official i wouldn't call it i'm not saying i'm right that's just my own opinion uh, fortunately, we get Malone. it happened in the first half, so we'll get Malone back uh, for this game, and uh, that'll be important to us. He's our he's our starting nickel. The offense obviously fed the ball to Ty Jordan and Brant Keithy a lot on Saturday, and for good reason. They they did a lot with it. But you know, in the you know, how do you how do you go about distributing the ball to other other people? You know, somebody like let's say a Solomon Enos or or some other the backers or other re wide receivers. Like, how do you? How do you figure that into the player? Is it really just who's who's ever doing the best at that time? I think the latter and more of a week to week thing. Uh, some weeks uh, the matchups favor, you know, one person or a couple of players, and some weeks it's it's different guys. And so uh, this last week, Ty Jordan was you know, from the onset he was ripping off uh, big runs, and I think at one point he had over ten yards of carry until late in the game when we got in those short yardage situations, and and he had a few carries where. Uh, that, that netted nothing, but but he's always going to be uh, you know a guy that uh, you know based on what we've seen in three games, he's going to be a guy that's going to get his hand his share of touches and as Brant Keithy as well. You know we know his his uh, track record; he's a proven commodity. Um, Covey is another guy that uh, is going to get touches, and and then we got to get the wide receivers a little more involved. We were down a couple wide receivers last week, at least. And they weren't full strength, and so when our receiving core is completely healthy, it's it's a weapon for us as well. But they've been a little banged up lately. But but some weeks, uh, some guys get more touches than uh, than others, and and uh, that is a like I said, a matchup thing, and depending on uh, where where we feel we got the uh, best advantage. Yeah, you got the early signing period. I think coming up in a couple of weeks. With this being a free year, what are your plans in terms of the number of guys you plan to sign? Well, the signing day is coming up in nine days. As a matter of fact, it's a week from Wednesday. And so we are right now scheduled to sign uh, 17 players. And that would include one return missionary. And so 16 new guys and one guy that committed to us a couple of years back that is now back and ready to uh, join the team. Was that the entire question? Yeah, thanks. Okay. No. 
Kyle, I'm, I'm curious in the fourth quarter uh, when you were uh, going three and out there, those short yardage run situations, uh, you, you mentioned play calling after the game, but now that you looked at the film, you know, the, the run game's been so good and the numbers are so good, except in the short yardage. Is it the personnel? Is it the play calling running, you know, off tackle or something? Is it the numbers they're putting in the box? What, what all goes into something going wrong when it's been going so right? Yeah, it's a combination of things. There's not just one thing, uh, but it was disappointing that we ran the ball so well, except when we really had to. When we had to, we didn't seem to, to make much hay now. Uh, there was, uh, you know, we missed a hole uh, on one of the plays. The, the, the biggest disappointment or the biggest, the most disappointing series when we had the ball uh, just about midfield, there was about four minutes left, and Ty Jordan rips off a nine-yard run on first down, so we get to second one. And then three consecutive times we get stopped. Uh, second, uh, third and one, second one, third and one, fourth and one. But uh, I think it was the third and one that we had a hole and we just missed the hole. Ty, the young running back, just uh, misread it, and uh, it was there. It was a, it was a gimme first down. But, but uh, you're right. We, we, we. I don't. Well, you're not right. But the point you bring up is exactly correct. That uh, we've got to be a little more creative on uh, in those short yard situations and uh, have a few different alternatives than just running the inside zone play. And uh, that's up to us as coaches to get that fixed. And, and that was, uh, you know, there was some things coming out of that game, like I said earlier, that we definitely need to work on. And that was one of them, the four minute offense and short yardage, uh, which is you know, inclusive in that red zone offense. We had uh, three trips in the red zone early in the game, field goal, field goal, field goal, which, uh, can't happen, you know. If you, nine nine nothing is a heck of a lot different than twenty one nothing, and, and we had a chance to break the game open early and didn't do it. And we had some open, some wide open guys just just missed them. But but uh, there's a lot of things coming out of that game that we need to work on, and, and uh, we'll address it and continue to uh, try to get better. Clark Phillips had to play nickel, and I know that you haven't played it all the time, but you know him having to go in playing nickel against Washington with Malone not playing, and then. Uh, Malone getting ejected due to targeting in the first half against Oregon State. You also said in camp that nickel is the hardest position to play in your defensive scheme. How do you feel that Clark Phillips has played when he's had to play nickel? Did a great job, and, and given the circumstances and, and being thrust in there and having not a lot of practice reps, we always try to keep him tuned up uh, you know, during the week with a few reps at nickel just in case. And uh, last couple of weeks, we we learned on Friday uh, before the Washington game that we wouldn't have Malone, so he he had 24-hour notice that he was going to be playing nickel. And then uh, this last game, obviously, it was uh, in game when when uh, the change needed to be made. But but Clark has been a, a very good player for us so far this year. We're only three games in, but but him and uh, Fabian Marks and Nate Ritchie, all three of those true freshman kids, have, have done a good job, and and uh, we're excited about their future. With with Ty having a track and field background, right? He was a 10-5 guy in high school. Um, is that something that maybe you look for sometimes in recruiting that speed? Kids who have a track background, is that something that you can work with? Without a doubt, it comes into play with all the skill positions you recruit. And if you're recruiting a skill position guy, and particularly wide receiver and corner that doesn't have a track background, a lot of times that's a red flag because guys that run fast love to run and they love to display it in the, in the track season. And so if a guy has not run track, that's a skill guy, you better do your homework because sometimes that means that his top end is not, not what it needs to be. And uh, that's, that's a big factor in recruiting uh, 
like I said, the, the perimeter, and it comes into play at running back as well. And, and that's one of Ty's biggest assets is his speed and his quickness. Quickness is every bit as important for a running back as, as top end. And so that always uh, is examined and delved into when you're looking at uh, skill players. Quick follow-up, just, you know, with Colorado, uh, you know, they're having a fine season, maybe better than some people expected. Just what are your um, early thoughts on Colorado as you start prepping? Yeah, good football team, undefeated, uh, 4-0, and uh, they're doing some good things. The quarterback, a fifth-year senior, is doing a nice job running the offense. The tailback is, is productive, uh, solid O-line, solid receivers, uh, defense, doing good things, uh, primarily even front, about two-thirds even front, one-third odd front, uh, zone pressure. They're doing a good job with their zone blitzes, um, mainly single high uh, on early downs, uh, good defensive end, good linebacker. And so they got a lot of things going for them right now, and they're 4-0. So what can you say? I mean, they've, they've, uh, they've been taking care of business. Kyle, how does that happen? Because there's been so much change there, three coaches in three years. There really weren't the expectations what pieces of the puzzle has that coaching staff kind of been able to fit together to get to this point so quickly in what's obviously such a difficult year for coaching staffs? Yeah, well, this year's weird all the way around. I mean, there's things happening that uh, every week that that are bizarre in my estimation. You know, it's just, it's a crazy year. And so uh, I would say in their situation, the cupboard was not left bare. They had a lot of good players. Uh, when uh, the last coach moved on and the last coach moved on on his own accord, you know, he wasn't let go or anything because of, of lack of success. And so uh, they're just building upon what, uh, what was started last year and they've done a nice job and their, their players have, uh, they're playing hard and, and uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's all lined up for them so far. They're, they're doing a good job. And there you go. That was head coach Kyle Whittingham. We're going to go ahead and take a break. When we get back, I'm going to give you guys three storylines that could determine the winner of Utah and Colorado on Friday night. You're listening to the Crimson Corner Podcast. Welcome back in. This is the Crimson Corner Podcast. It's powered by kslsports.com. I'm your host, Trevor Allen. As Utah gets ready to take on a 4-0 Colorado team who is trying to fight for a Pac-12 South Division title, which I didn't think I'd ever say that coming into this year. I thought they were going to be one of the two worst teams in the entire South Division, and Carl Durrell has done a great job with that team. Now, they don't have the uh, South Division in the bag. In order for them to get it, USC would have to lose this week to the UCLA Bruins, and Colorado would have to beat Utah. Because right now the Trojans are 4-0, but all four of their games have been conference games. Now Colorado, when their game against the Trojans was canceled, they went and got San Diego State to play a non-conference game, which the game counts towards their record, but not towards the South Division title. Just chalk it up as another L in 2020 if you're Colorado. And right now, Utah enters the game as an underdog against the Buffs. But, you know, I've watched every game, every Pac-12 game this year. I've made it a effort to DVR every Pac-12 football game and then going back and watching it during the week. And I'll tell you what, 
this Colorado team is good, but I think Utah is talented enough to beat them, especially now that they have three games under their belt. But here's some some guys to watch out for, and these are part of the uh, three storylines. One, stopping the run. Colorado's running back, Jared Broussard, has 733 yards through four games and three touchdowns on 115 carries. Last week against the Arizona Wildcats, he had 301 yards. Didn't have a touchdown, but did have 301 yards on, I think, 25 carries, which is absolutely insane. And then Sam Neuer, the quarterback, he is the second leading rusher among quarterbacks in the Pac-12, or excuse me, third, behind Tyler Shuck and Dorian Thompson-Robinson as far as yards. But he does have more rushing touchdowns than any quarterback in the Pac-12 with five. But Neuer has 179 yards and five touchdowns on 38 carries. Neuer, it's kind of a crazy story. He's now a fifth-year senior, played quarterback to start out his college career, then last year moved over to safety, and then he entered the portal. And then Carl Durrell, when he got the job at Colorado, convinced Neuer to stay and move back over to quarterback and compete for the job, and then he won the job. So in order for Utah to win this game, Jarek Broussard can't get 300 yards. Sam Neuer can't break off big runs. That you cannot do. But Utah's defense has proven to be able to stop the run. They have allowed the second least amount of yards per game in the entire Pac-12. They are just four yards average behind Washington. And then in their rushing defense, Utah leads the Pac-12 with 104 yards allowed. Washington State is second at 132. But again, Washington State's only played two games. But then also passing, you don't want to get Neuer comfortable at all. Utah's allowed the third most passing yards per game, which it's at 246, which isn't bad in today's college football. So... Utah stopping the run is going to be the biggest key to this game. I know, I know that that was also a, a big-time priority for them against Oregon State, but Jamar Jefferson didn't play, so it wasn't as big of a deal. It'll be interesting to see if Utah is going to try and force Sam Neuer to throw because you'd rather have that than to have him run because watching some of his games, he's been able to break free. And then number two, battle in the trenches. I know that this is an every-week thing, but Utah's offensive line is getting better. They were able to get some push against Oregon State, just not as much, especially in that four-minute offense and when Utah was getting into the red zone early in the game. So you've got to be able to stop Nate Landman, the linebacker, and and some of their guys up front and to be able to open up gaps for, for Ty Jordan, Devin Brumfield, Jordan Wilmore to be able to attack. And then also on the other side, Colorado's old line is decent. I mean... If Jerk Broussard's going off for 300 yards in a game, he must be doing something right. And then the final thing, continue to get Britton Covey and Brant Keithy involved. It was great to see them get involved early in the game, but then when Utah was trying to chew out the clock, they weren't involved, and I think that there's ways to get them involved by using them within the running game. So continue to get them involved, continue to get them touches. All right, now time to switch over to some running you hoops. Really quick, and I'm more looking forward to the BYU game because playing the Idaho State Bengals, this is going to be more of a tune-up. I mean, for Utah to go into the season for a conference game first 
and then now they're going into non-conference. It's a little bit crazy, but again, it's 2020. Uh, nothing's going to really surprise me anymore. But Utah played really well against Washington. Timmy Allen was really good. Fonz Plummer was outstanding. Although a little trigger happy as far as trying to find his shots, and, and Larry Case said that as much after the game on Saturday, or on Thursday. A guy I really like is, is Pella Larson, the freshman from Sweden. He had almost a double-double. He had eight points and seven assists. He was great. But as you look at BYU on Saturday, right now the Cougars are sitting at 5-1 and one right now. They have wins over Westminster, which is to be expected, by almost 50. And then they beat New Orleans by 25 at home. And then they beat UVU by 22 at home. And then they went to the Mohegan Sun Arena in Connecticut for the Roman Legends Classic. And they went 1-1 one one in that tournament. They got hammered by USC 79-53. to That was an absolute beatdown. But the thing is, it kind of goes both ways. I think it was a dud game for BYU. But USC's legit. They have athletic, tall guys that are going to be problems in this conference. So Utah is going to be seeing them. And I'll tell you what, they're really good. And then they picked up a win over St. John's by six points the day after to end their run at the Mohegan Sun. And then their last game was on Saturday, and they picked up a three-point win over Utah State up in Logan. But BYU will have one game just like Utah will before they clash in Provo on Saturday. They're going to be playing Boise State. So that's a tougher challenge for BYU than what Utah has coming up on Tuesday. And Boise's good. I think they were picked to win the Mountain West or one of the top teams in the Mountain West this year. So it'll, it'll be a challenge for BYU for sure on Wednesday. And then obviously with Utah coming in, I think that Utah has some really good pieces to be able to attack. You've got to look at being able to stop the guard play. But they also have a couple of bigs. Colby Lee, he does all the grunt work out on the floor. And then you have Matt Harms, who's the big guy out of Purdue. They like to play him at the four sometimes. If that's the case, that, that could create a challenge for Utah because you then got to force one of your smaller guys to guard him, whether it's Timmy Allen, Mickey Antunin. I'm, I'm curious to see what happens with that. I, although, just having watched both BYU and Utah basketball, I mean, we only have one game of sample size for Utah. I feel like Utah is really, really talented. This is a really good running Utes team. If for some reason they don't make it to the tournament this year, they'll definitely make it next year because everybody's back except for Fawns Plummer. He is the only senior on, on this team. Unless Timmy Allen decides to test the NBA waters again and actually goes into the draft, everybody else is back. It'll be interesting. Uh, Tip-off is at 4 o'clock on Saturday at the Marriott Center, and it's on BYU TV. All right, that will do it for this edition of the Crimson Corner Podcast. Head over to kslsports.com to check out the latest on the Utes, and also download the KSL Sports app. Uh, It's right at your fingertips to get all of the latest content regarding the Utes. Until next time, thank you guys so much for listening. This is the Crimson Corner Podcast.
I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.